Okay, folks, I think that I'm going to start. I want to honor the time plan that we're on tonight. And so I'm just going to get started and wait for people to trickle in. And while they are, somebody asked me this week up with Gull Lake. And I was attending a national conference of um, Christian camps. I was serving there much in the capacity that I am here. And uh, that's probably where Daniel Wallace and I saw each other. Um, and I can remember a banquet on one of the last evenings. And my wife said to me afterwards, you know, well, let me preface this by saying this. It's obvious that camp people are highly energetic, very creative, and often very funny. So if you have 1,500 to 2,000 on, in one place, there's a lot of energy there. We had this banquet, and my wife said, you know, there was one table that was sticking out among those 1,500 guests, and it was next to our table, and that happened to be the Gull Lake table, and in particular, one individual at that table who had brought his staff to attend this conference. And when I met Ambush, we just clicked because of the very things that he shared this evening. Not everything, but most of the things <laughs> that he shared about his philosophy of ministry. And I just have the highest regard for Daniel, for the staff here, and uh, it's a privilege for Gabby and I to be here. So Daniel, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to take part in this week with you. It's been great, appreciate it. And thank you for your kindness and warm welcome for both Gabby and for me. We've appreciated being here. This is the last uh, opportunity I'll have to be in front of you. And I said, well, I wanted to thank you for that, um, just the warmth and the welcome that you've given us as out-of-towners, to, to say the least, and uh, we really appreciate that. This is my last session. I've entitled it Righteous Unpredictability. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, I want to thank you so much for Gull Lake. I want to thank you for what you've chosen to raise up here. I thank you for those who have served us so faithfully and kindly this week. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for sustaining this ministry, especially over the last two years. We give you the glory for that and are careful to do so. We thank you for your presence now and would rely on you to speak and to lead us into the truth for your own name's sake. Amen. One of the lectures that I had at Bible school about 150 years ago was a man who gave lectures on the book of Acts. And I can't quote many of the things that he said at that time, but I'll never forget when he told us, don't pray to be used by God. That caught my attention. And then he continued and said, pray to be made usable by God. Just pray to be made usable. And I've never forgotten that. And in Acts chapter 8, we're looking at a man who was made usable. And his name was Philip. He was humble enough to serve tables and to start low. And the Lord called him into a ministry because he was made usable doing the serving of the tables in the church. 
There was persecution in the church when Stephen was stoned to death and went to meet Christ, who was standing to wait, awaiting him. And there was revival in an area of Samaria where Philip was ministering. And one would have thought that where there's revival, it was a perfect time to extend the ministry of Gull Lake to found a torchbearer center. Because there were, there were healings, there were demons being driven out, and I'm sure Philip enjoyed a lot of respect and attention in this setting. And then God said the unreasonable. And he said to Philip in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. God said, go to a deserted place, go to a desert road, and it's careful, we need to be careful to note, God did not say why. He didn't explain why. He just said, go. Well, Philip had been in some way made usable by God, and he was of the conviction that God was going to take over the consequences of his obedience, because he always will, and so he went. And God did something that was highly unpredictable and, humanly speaking, very unreasonable, and he moved a man from, from a revival into the desert. That does not make sense. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everybody who is born the Spirit of God. And there should be a healthy element of what I call righteous unpredictability about our lives because we've given up the control to him. And the one who sits on the throne and reigns from heaven, who sees the end from the beginning, should have the opportunity to move you and I in any way that he sees fit. And sometimes that's not going to make sense. And so he went. It just seems to me that God gives us a compass more than he gives us a map. I think in the 21st century, we would say God gives us a GPS. My GPS is my wife. Gabby's pretty sure. So I turn my navigation system on, and then I have two female voices in the car telling me where to go. It's not always easy. Well, God's not like a GPS in this sense. He gives us a compass and he just says, go. And then he asks us to leave the consequences of our obedience to him. If you read scripture carefully, sorry, oh, there we go. The people God uses is the people God sends. And you can see this over and over and over again in the Old and the New Testament that the people God uses, he sends. And to be sent means two things. Number one, it means somebody else initiates their activity in our lives. And number two, it means somebody else takes responsibility for that which they have initiated. This is so critical in the Christian life in general, but in ministry in particular. You see, if I'm the initiator, I have to keep the ball rolling. If God is the initiator, he's responsible. 
And God wills that he is the initiator, I'm the responder, and then he always takes responsibility for that which he initiates, and that we're going to see in the life of Philip. And so I can tack on my prayer to the prayer of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 when Isaiah said, Lord, hear my, send me. And that might not mean at the end of this week at Gull Lake that we're going to have a change in location, a change of vocation. All we're saying is, Lord, I want you to take the initiative. And Lord, in taking the initiative, I want you to carry the responsibility. So here am I, send me. And if you want to be righteously unpredictable in my life and the way that you move me, that's fine. I went to Bodensiaf, I was 23 years old, this is 1984. I was the RA during that time, the director asked me to stay on staff, so that meant that I was gonna go to language school. I went to language school for two months. I went back to Minnesota, packed up my things, came in the fall of 1985, and that was the time when I began teaching in the Bible school, working my way into the, into the conference ministry and going on outreach. In January of 1986, the director of the school was scheduled to go to Northern Bavaria with a team of students for a long weekend of youth meetings. He got sick and I had to go in his place. I had about a half hour's forewarning that I was going and my German was so bad that he sent the secretary with me. The meetings that we had were not in the church fellowship hall, it was kind of the community center for this small village. And we went there and we had our meeting on Friday, uh, Friday evening. Uh, can't remember what we were doing on Saturday morning. We had another meeting on Saturday evening. And if there was ever a time when I was feeling foolishly insufficient, it was during that outreach. I had no business being there. And after we had the meeting on Saturday evening, and feeling very foolish in this setting. This is a community center in Bavaria. It wasn't the church setting. And so these good Bavarians got out the refreshments, including different kinds of Bavarian beer. And some of these guys who went on outreach with me suddenly felt the call to be involved in missionary work in Bavaria. And I thought, this thing is going to derail. And so there we are in this community hall with these good Bavarians. And there was one seat at a table, and it was about the only one available in the whole of the place. I sat down across from a young man who looked about my age, and I said, Guten Abend, ich heiße Peter. Hat dir das Programm heute Abend gefallen? And with that sentence basically exhausted my knowledge of the German language, he looked at me and he said, Hi, my name is Paul, with a British accent, and said, I love the program tonight. Would you tell me more about Jesus? Because that morning he had been walking to the bakery, and some students had been sent by their host family to the bakery. They were coming from the bakery. They passed each other on the street. Paul heard our students speaking English loudly because we're a little bit louder than the ones in my culture in Germany. 
And he said, what are you guys doing here? And he said, they said, we're having a, a, a youth meeting tonight in the community hall. Do you want to come? Or he was bilingual. He was half British, half German. He was working for Siemens. And he happened to be in that village living with his grandmother. And there wasn't much to do on a Saturday evening. So out of curiosity, he came. But he came with a prepared heart. And so I got my English Bible and I explained the gospel to him as best I could. And I said, you know, Paul, if you want to receive Christ, we could go into a side room and pray together and do that. And he said, no. He said, let's do that right here. So there we are. And he prays and receives Christ. In my book, this was a direct hit. Because in 2015, now living in Canada, he wrote to me and he said, Dear Peter, while this was certainly a blast from the past, I woke up in the middle of the night with an urge to contact you after so many years. Things have been going so good since that night in Redvitz on January 10th, 1986. Wow, almost 30 years ago. God is good. God is great. That's all I can say. And when I reflect on the past, I sometimes feel so humbled that he called me to himself. He has blessed me with a wonderful wife, two fabulous kids. I often think about the outreach that weekend in Redwitz and realize that it was all God's timing that you and your team were there and shared the gospel. I still re remember vividly the conversation that we had in that crowded community hall after the program and the question you posed to me after our talk together. How do I know that I'm a Christian? Because Christ lives in me. Did I plan that because I had attended an evangelism explosion course? No. Was I particularly gifted as an evangelist? No. That's just righteous unpredictability. That's just his power made perfect in weakness. So that it's obvious he did it. He did it. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch after Philip went to the road near Gaza, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And God took Philip, and he brought him into contact with somebody who was ethnically, culturally, philosophically very different from himself, an Ethiopian eunuch who had gone to worship at Jerusalem because there certainly was a, a Jewish community where he was living. He goes there, and because he's a eunuch, he can't go into the temple, but because he's wealthy, he got a hold of the prophet Isaiah, and he's sitting in his Mercedes going home reading the prophet Isaiah. In Germany right now, about 40% of all youth and babies being born come from a migrant background. It's changing the color and the face of Germany. In 25 years, 
only about 25% of the German population will have any religious affiliation at all. And of the 46,000 churches that now exist, 46,000 church buildings, in 25 years, only about half of them are ever going to be needed. And Gabi and I have gone to former churches that have now become art galleries, restaurants, and movie theaters. Somebody asked me this week, what, what is kind of the spiritual climate in Germany? And I just said, it's about as hard as this tabletop right here. And traditionally, at least for torchbearers, we have been a ministry that has waited for people to come, up, come to us, much like this week. It's my conviction personally that two things are probably going to need to happen. Number one, we're going to need to learn to travel light in ministry. That's why we're taking Bible school, a portable Bible school, to Tanzania. This kind of setting is fantastic, but I'm not always sure in the next, you know, decade or two if we're going to be able to enjoy the privileges that we do as Christians in the Western world. I'm just not sure. And the second thing is this. Instead of waiting for people to come to us, I think we're going to have to go to them. I think that we're going to have to do the seeking. I think that we're going to have to get out of our evangelical ghetto and go to places and the kind of places where Jesus went. And the kind of places that Jesus went to and the kind of people that he hung out with was an aggravation to the religious establishment. Personally, I think that that's what we're going to need to adjust to more than ever before, we may have to leave the 99 to go after the one. And so this Ethiopian eunuch was reading not just Isaiah, but Isaiah 53. Poor old Isaiah. Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne in a time of crisis we need to know that as well. And then he responds by saying, Who, you know, here my Lord, send me. And God says, go and preach to this people. And the effect of your preaching on this people is they are going to become increasingly hard-hearted. So Isaiah asks a good question. He says, how long? How long am I going to have to do that? And God had said, until the land is wiped out. And Isaiah preached anywhere from 50 to 60 years, five to six decades, without results. And there is this obscure statement in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37 that says that some died in faith. In fact, they were sawn in two. And some commentators and historians think that it was King Manasseh, King Uzziah's son, who shoved Isaiah into a tree and then sawed him in two. 
Do you know Isaiah in his day, he would not have received an invitation from Gull Lake to come and be the mission speaker because there was nothing to report. Churches would have dropped his support. People would have said he obviously does not have the gift of preaching Some would have said he's under spiritual attack and others would have drawn the conclusion he's probably living in hidden sin because there is nothing happening in his ministry. Success in the Christian life is going to be determined by the extent of my obedience to the one who sent me. The results and and whatever that may be, when, when I respond to his initiative... That's his business. And if he wants to, so to speak, waste my life, 50 to 60 years of preaching, no results. That's his business. And if I've obeyed him to do that, I'll arrive one day and he'll say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. You did what I told you to do. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, it says that the Old Testament prophets knew that they were serving a future generation. And so they stuck it out. And outside of Psalms, Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. It's just that Isaiah needed to wait 750 years for the results of his ministry. And Isaiah needed to believe in the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest says, the harvest is always bigger than that which is sown. The harvest is always bigger than that which was sown. Even if the harvest comes 750 years later. At our Bible school, we have... About 100 students from all over the world. The school is held and and the lectures are held in English. Some of our students know a little bit of German. Some like to learn German while they're there. And one day, one of our students was trying out his German at a bakery. And he was trying out his German on the person behind the counter, trying to order whatever it was that day in the bakery. And there was another man standing there listening to him butcher the German language. And he walked up to him and he said, what are you doing here? Because the man who asked him happened to be from Canada, but he'd lived for a certain number of years in Germany. And our students said, well, I'm attending a place called Bodensioff. He said, what's Bodensioff? He says, it's a Bible school. What is Bible school? Well, why don't you come and find out? Every month we have an evening that the students put on. It's called The Crossing. It's kind of an open evening. Why don't you come and find out? The man came, found out, to make a long story short, he received Christ. He came to a New Year's conference that Gabi and I attended, and he stood up And he prayed among the guests. He was a new Christian. And Gabby and I looked at each other and we said, that's the guy that fixes our bikes. What is he doing here? And we went up to him and we asked him and he told us his story. 
That's a picture of my friend Paul from Bavaria who came to Christ in that community hall. And this is a guy that fixes our bikes. And I took a picture of him, and after I took the picture, I said to him, what's that right there, that little red book? He said, that's a Gideon Bible. My grandmother gave me that years ago. His grandmother planted the seed. And now the seed was ready to explode. Again, it's what I call righteous unpredictability. You don't need to see the results. God just needs to be the initiator. We don't even need to know what he has in mind. Just obey him and leave the results here, obedience to him. So why do I say this tonight? It's our last evening together. I say this tonight because there could be somebody here who's come to Gull Lake this week and heard everything that we have said, enjoyed the fellowship and the service and everything that Gull Lake has to offer. And something has been going on in your heart that was going on in my heart in 1974. I couldn't understand everything that the speaker was saying, but something on the inside of me was saying, that's true, and I want it. I'd like to repeat what John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that whoever includes you. You can't run so far that the love of God can't reach you, and you can't fall so deep that the love of God can't catch you. But that word, in, is very important. You see, if a student came up to me and said, Peter, I'm getting married. I said, that's fantastic. Who are you getting married to? And he comes up to me, and his answer is, I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting married. I'd say to this young man, you, you've not understood something very, very important. You marry somebody. You don't just get married. You get married to. You see, when we talk about placing our faith in Jesus, it's not just this, this you know, general kind of, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God or I believe what the Bible is true. You believe in him. And the German word for believe is the word glauben, which comes from another German word. It means to take an oath. It's, it's, it's like entrusting yourself to another person. And the other person to whom we're entrusting ourselves is Jesus. And scripture says, for while we were yet still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Some people think they could never come to Christ. They'd have to fix too much in their lives to come, and come to him. You don't. Peter, I can't come to Christ because I'd have to change too much just to come to receive him. You don't. You come as you are. And this passage says that while we were still helpless, ungodly, sinners, yes, even enemies, Christ died for us. So even in that state, he loved us enough to come for us. And if there was only one person in the world who God wanted to save, Jesus would have come. Jesus would have come. We don't have to change anything to come to Jesus and receive him as our Lord and Savior. We come as we are, and the change comes afterwards. Here's the deal about him. God's already said yes to us. The great question is, have I said yes to Jesus? At our wedding, if the pastor said to me, Peter, do you take Gabby to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I say yes. And then she, she jumps up, runs out of the church, and says, finally, we're married. But she never says yes to me. I would find that offensive because it takes two people to say yes to one another to form a relationship. God has said yes to me. And he said yes to you in Jesus. And he's demonstrated that. So we may come as we are. And let me be clear tonight. Yes, we may come as we are, but the love of God is so pure, so powerful. He won't leave us the way that we are. And when we come and receive Christ, he comes to indwell us at a place called our spirit. And there begins an internal change. Because of the love and the presence of Jesus. I'm the fifth one in from the left side, standing next to my friend with the, the, the broad striped shirt. Bill Loomis is his name. And friends, I want you to know tonight, had that not happened then in 1974, I wouldn't be here tonight. And I've been learning since that day that I received Christ into my life. God always gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. And so if you're seated here tonight and been among God's children, but you're not one of God's children, perhaps that's why you've been here this week, is to hear this. And this is a God-appointed moment for you and for him. And it's a matter 
of coming to him like me going to the emergency room in Colorado on ski vacation. And I changed my mind. I said, I can't live this way any longer. I need somebody to do something for me. I said yes to Jesus in that picture that week. And it may be your night to say yes to Jesus. So in the stillness of these 60 seconds, if you'd like to do that, you go ahead and do that. And I would encourage you, if you've come here with somebody, your spouse or a friend, and you say yes to Jesus tonight, would you tell them? It would be delighted to hear. And that's going to make all the difference in the world. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in the quietness of this moment, you understand somebody's heart. And I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you see an honest heart and somebody saying, Lord Jesus, I want to say yes to you tonight. I want to receive you. I want to become your child. And he says, Lord, thank you for saying yes to me just as I am. Lord, so that you might clean me up from the inside out and come in by your spirit to make me new. Lord, I want to thank you for the miracle of new birth. And I also want to thank you, Lord, that your spirit will make it clear to somebody tonight that they're your child. That's what you've said you would do. Lord, I thank you that the harvest is always bigger than the seed that was sown. And we'll trust you for that. And we tack on the prayer of Isaiah tonight, hear my, send me. And whatever that means when we leave this place, go ahead and do what you want. For your own name's sake. Amen.